Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. As we just read in this passage, we see this uh, kind of interesting sequence of events. Uh, just to summarize what we just read, at the very beginning you see uh, that uh, God lists the, the rulers of the area. He lists who was politically in rulership and who was uh, religiously uh, in leadership. And uh, sometimes we can get a little bit too caught up in, in the politics of the day. You know, I know many uh, keep up with the politics and the policy and they see who's in charge and, and uh, what, uh, what, what is going on at the top politically and in the government and things like that. But it is interesting that God lists all of these men, but then he says the most important thing that the word of God came to John. And really, that's what we need this morning, amen? We need the Word of God, right? We don't just need a political leader. We don't just need a religious leader. We need God's Word as it applies to us, amen? Amen, we do. We need God's Word. And it's interesting that out of all of the potential candidates to have received the Word, you have the high priests that are listed, Annas and Caiaphas, and you have Herod, and you have these political leaders that God chose to give His Word to a single holy man in the wilderness. His name was John. It's interesting how sometimes the way that God thinks can be different from the way that we think, right? Isn't it interesting? If we were to choose somebody to try to give the word of God and and try to propagate it to the people, we might say, all right, who's, who's the most popular? Who's the most influential? Who has the most connections? But God didn't choose these individuals. He chose John the Baptist, a holy man chosen, and he was in the wilderness. He's out in the countryside preaching the word. Probably not the place that you or I would choose to preach God's word, right? Here we are. We're, we're about as far away from the wilderness and countryside as you could get. And so here we are in the city, in the middle of a city, you know, preaching the word. And, 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 and John the Baptist, though, he was used, he was there in the wilderness preaching the word of God, and he's preaching repentance. That is a message that is often lost in our world today. Even among the religious, even those that go to church, even those that are Christians that believe, sometimes that message of repentance gets lost. We as a people need to always be ready to repent, to turn away from our way and go the way of the Lord. And that's what John was preaching. And so he's preaching and he's gathering a following. Some people heard about it and the word spreads. You know, it's amazing how it doesn't matter what platform you have, word will spread, right? You know, today we have, you know, we have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And, you know, um, some people knew about, you know, uh, information being spread. You know, uh, Sarah gave birth on Friday. And uh, that day, something went up on Instagram, and now the whole world knows about this. You know, it's amazing how fast information can spread. But even without those things, people started hearing about John the Baptist. And so John the Baptist, he's, he's uh, preaching the word. People are hearing, and so they're coming. And, uh, and, and so you could see that this is kind of, there's some momentum being built, right? There's a following, there's a gathering, more and more people are coming, and now there's a multitude that's coming. And you see this in verse number 7, you see that uh, there's a multitude that comes to John the Baptist to be baptized of him. 
his response seems a little harsh. He says, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. It, it seems like a harsh reaction. In another passage, you actually see that even though there's the multitude there, and he's saying it to the multitude, there's a specific group of people that are there, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that really John the Baptist was directing his attention towards. He was saying it to all of the congregation, but he was really directing it at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says to them, you're, you're a generation of vipers. And it's interesting what he says. Verse number 8 says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance has uh, a very uh, simple definition if you were to just kind of see what repent just means a change of mind. That's really what repentance means. Repentance just means a change of mind. But here's the thing is, I can't read your mind, right? And you can't read my mind. And we can't read each other's minds. You know, oftentimes that's where relationships get into trouble is because we can't read each other's minds. Sometimes I say something, but I meant something else. Right? And sometimes not even on purpose. I just said it and I didn't think, oh, if I say it this way, then the other person will receive it in a different way. But we see that John is, he's preaching repentance and the multitude comes to him and they say, we want to be baptized. And John responds and he says, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. What John the Baptist basically says in modern terminology is prove it he says you said that you repented prove it he says repentance is a change of mind i cannot read your mind i can't see what's going on in your heart and he says in verse number eight something very interesting he says prove your repentance that's why christians need to have a change of life amen if you've repented of your sins there ought to be a change amen if you've changed your mind, there ought to be a change in your life, amen? And there ought to be something that's different. People who say, you know, I got saved, and you know, I got saved as a kid, or I got saved at this age, and, and nothing changes. There's something a little bit off there. If there's a change of mind, there should be a change of action, and that's what John the Baptist is saying. And so he, he, he gives, he says a little bit more, he expounds a little bit more, and it's really interesting then what happens. So John the Baptist says, you multitude, you come to me, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Prove that you've repented. Prove through your actions that you've repented. And the multitude comes to him, verse number 10, and uh, down through to the end of the passage that we read, we see these three groups of people, they come to John the Baptist and they all ask the question, what shall we do then? You know what their question is? Their question is basically this. I've repented and I've been sincere, and you say that I need to prove it with my actions, how do I do that? I want to show a difference. I want to be different. Help me. Show me what area of my life needs to be different. And this is just a completely open-ended question, right? It's not like they're leading John the Baptist or trying to drive towards some specific thing. They just open-endedly say, what shall we do? It's interesting that saved people, when they get saved, when they repent, that's the question that they ask, right? Isn't that what Paul the Apostle said when he got saved? When he got saved, he said to the Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 
That's what saved people do. They just give an open-ended question to the Lord. God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And that's what these people's attitude was. The multitude came first. In verse number 10, it says, And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? What should I do to prove my repentance, my sincerity? Verse 11, John the Baptist answers. He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. When it comes to money or material goods or possessions, he says, Be generous. He says, you want to prove your sincerity of repentance? Don't be selfish. Be generous. He says, be generous with what you have. The next group is a, a group of tax collectors. That's what the publicans are. Verse number 12. Then came also publicans, tax collectors, to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? So they came and they said, well, what do you want us to do? Verse number 13, John the Baptist answers again, and he said unto them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. So today, you know, uh, tax season is coming to a close, right? April 15th is this Saturday. If you haven't filed your taxes, you need to file your taxes. And so many of you probably have filed taxes, and, you know, maybe you went with an online program, uh, or you have uh, some uh, accountant who will do your taxes, but you give all of the forms, and they, you know, they do all of the things, and then they charge you maybe a fee or something like that, right? So that's kind of how we do taxes today. Uh, back in the days of the Bible, it wasn't so cut and dry. You just went to the tax collector or the tax collector came to you, and then they just told you what you were supposed to give. And you had no way of knowing. There was no online website. There is no tax code that you could just follow and calculate and say, hey, you charged me too much. You just had to take their word for it. And the tax collectors knew it. So you know what the tax collectors would do? They would come up, some, some businessman would come up, and they would do all the calculations and say, okay, this year you owe us, for example, $1,000, right? So that's what the government says that I'm supposed to collect. But this guy, he doesn't know how much he's supposed to be charged. So I'm going to charge him $1,100. And so I'll give the 1000 to the government, and I'll keep 100 for myself. And so tax collectors had a very terrible reputation because people started catching on to this. And John the Baptist, he says, you've really repented? Be fair at your workplace. Be honest. Be ethical in your handling of money. A third group comes, the soldiers. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him. Isn't that interesting how they, the soldiers were different, right? The people asked John the Baptist nicely, you know what the soldiers did? They demanded. They went up to John the Baptist and said, you got to tell me. And they said, what shall we do? And he said unto them, do violence to no man. He, he's a little defensive. He's like, be careful here. You know, don't, don't attack me. Don't hurt me. Do violence to no man. Neither accuse any falsely. And be content with your wages. Three groups come to John the Baptist. They've all repented. They all ask John the Baptist, what can I do to prove my repentance? Three times John the Baptist answers in this arena of money. Three times group comes to John the Baptist, asks, what shall we do? Three times John the Baptist answers, and he gives it in the area of money. Because a change in spiritual life leads to a change in financial management. The way that you think, 
ought to be reflective of the repentance that you've had, and your actions also ought to match that. No Christian is complete in their growth until they handle their finances in a biblical manner. And here's why I think that John the Baptist gave this area of money, all right? When you ask a kid, do you love your mom? They'll say, yes, I love my mom. And you ask them the question, how much do you love your mom? What is the kid going to say? What can a kid say? You know what a kid's going to say? A lot. Well, how much is a lot? This much. I love my mom this much. You know, they're trying to quantify this area of love, and it's hard, right? How do you tell the other person how much you love them? How do you know how much you love them? You know, in, in a lot of different areas, when it comes to areas of, of uh, mercy and forgiveness and, and patience, a lot of these things can be very hard to kind of get a grasp of. But you know what's so great about money is it's so precise. You can put a number on the amount of money that you gave, right? You can put a percentage on the amount that you gave here, amount that you spent here. And I think money is a great gauge for us as believers to take a look at our spiritual lives and be able to use money as a way for us to kind of take a gauge of our spiritual life. I understand that money's not everything. There's so many different areas of the Christian life, but money is a great one that will give us some intuition and some insight into our own Christian life. Uh, the core fundamental idea throughout the next five weeks, this whole series is this. There is a connection between our spiritual lives and how we view and handle money. One author put it this way. There is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and our possessions. So there's going to be this connection between my spiritual life, the way that I think, the way that I live, uh, my, my attitude towards God, and the way that I handle my finances. You know, sometimes uh, it can be a temptation uh, you know, when we approach the Bible or we think about God, we think about God when we're going through some tough times, right? When we're going through some tough times and we turn back to God and, and we want some comfort. And so, you know, we just go to God uh, for comfort. But when it comes to handling money, sometimes the temptation is to think, you know what, what does the Bible have to say about handling money? I need to go to some uh, expert in the field, some financial manager, somebody who's had a degree in some finances, or I need to go pick up some uh, magazine or some journal, you know, the Wall Street Journal or Fortune or Forbes magazine. And, and uh, you know, the, the Bible is great, but the Bible needs to deal with just the spiritual things, and, and uh, money is just a physical, secular thing, but God makes that connection so many times. Because again, our behavior displays our beliefs. Our beliefs determine our behavior. And so I want to take a look at three truths regarding money this morning. Money this morning. Before we get into the first point, uh, you know, if I were to pull out a dollar bill, I don't usually carry cash with me anymore. You know, uh, uh, you know, some people, they only carry cash. And uh, so I, I don't like uh, carrying coins and cash around. And so I don't really have any. But what I do have with me is uh, I always carry this, uh, this card with me, this credit card, right? And so I usually have this credit card. And uh, so on this credit card is somebody's name. Whose name is on this credit card? It's my name, right? Whose credit card is this? 
Whose credit card is this? It's my credit card, right? Is it your credit card? It's not your credit card, right? And don't you dare think of it that way. Some people have thought online they stole my credit card and used it for themselves. That's not right. This is my credit card. I'm the one that gets to use it, right? I'm the one that gets to decide it. This represents in some way, I understand it's a little more complicated than that, but this represents money, right? Right? This represents the money that I have or the money that I could spend and maybe I don't have it, but I should. But here's the thing about it is, let's say this was a dollar bill or this was actually physical cash, we would say that this is my money, right? But did you know that the Bible says, really, that this isn't my money? I want to take a look, first of all, at the owner of money. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse number 14 says, Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God, is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. You know what God's perspective of money and the world is? God's perspective of this world is, this is all mine. That's God's perspective. God's perspective of the world is, it's all mine. And everything that's in it, you know what that's including? That's including money. So here at our church, we teach something called the tithe. Right? The tithe is something that was given in the, in the Old Testament, and it was given in the uh, Levitical law that you were to give 10%. And there were some other principles uh, you know, regarding giving. We see that Abraham, he gave before the law. And uh, so we teach the tithe, we talk about the 10%, and we say the 10% is God's. Right? It's God's. It's not mine. It's God's. That's why I need to give it, because it's the Lord's. Here's the temptation in that, though, is the temptation is 10% is God's, 90% is mine. But you know what God says? The 10% is mine, the 90% is also mine. Some of you are like, no, it's mine. (laughs) That 90% is mine. I gave my 10% to God, but 90% is mine. But you know what God says? God says everything in the world is mine. Everything in the world is mine. And that includes my money. That includes everything that I own. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 16. Here is a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, and he has a very noble question. Verse 16 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, which, which ones? Jesus said, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt, uh, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He says, here is the commandment, here are the ten commandments, here is the, the second law that, that covers, you know, um, all of the Old Testament commandments. And verse number 20 says, the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth, yet what lack I? Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. It's clear from this example that Jesus is, he's not saying that you need to give up all of your worldly goods and give it all away in order to be saved. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is he's communicating to this young man what happened was he left sad, and he he went away sad because he had a lot of wealth and he didn't want to give it away. And it was clear, because Jesus knew all things, 
it was clear that this man had a God other than the Lord God. And he didn't want to give it away. James chapter 1, verse number 17 says, Every good and perfect gift cometh from above. Every good gift, every good thing, every material possession comes ultimately from the Lord. Now, God may use the avenue of your workplace. He may use the avenue of your family. He may use all of these avenues, but everything is God's. And this is important because of point number two, the objective of money. The objective of money. If God is the owner, then God determines the objective. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So when we understand, okay, I understand, here's my finances. I understand what the Bible teaches about the tithe and about my finances and about the 90%. And I understand that it's all the Lord's. And then God says, whatever it is that you do, whether you eat or drink or save or spend or invest, or lose, <laughs> do all to the glory of God. So when I understand, all right, this is the money that God has entrusted to me, but I understand that it's still God's. I understand that the handling of my finances should be done in a way that glorifies God. Because there's a lot of books out there about how to handle your money, right? You just go to Amazon.com, you just Google up finances, you Google up money or something, and you'll find all sorts of books. You go to what few Barnes and Nobles there are still left in this world, and you go over there and you go to the finance section, and you'll find a lot of books about you know, how to handle your finances, how to save, how to invest, how to get out of debt, how to build your wealth, how to get into this area, and all of these things, right? You're going to see a lot of different uh, information out there. But we need to, first of all, understand the real objective of money. Because you could have all of the right tools and tips and knowledge but still end up in the wrong place. Somebody once described it as this. You know, you could read the books about, you know, uh, which stocks to invest in and trends and, you know, all of the little details. That would be like, you know, being on a river and learning how to canoe. You know, you ever watch the Olympics and they have the, like, like the canoeing event or whatever, I forget what they're called, but uh, kayaking, that's what it is. You have the kayaking event. You ever, you ever seen that? And, uh, you know, they're going down these rapids and they, they're supposed to go around and through and then they're supposed to go around and backwards and all through these different events. They got a lot of technical skill. But if you're on the wrong river, you'll end up in the wrong place, right? And so what God's word says is, let's get on the right river. Let's go towards the right destination first, and then let's talk about how are we going to get there. And the point of money is this, that our money ought to glorify the Lord. That's why the tithe is important. The tithe is a way for us to glorify God with our finances, right? That's a way for us to glorify God in our finances. But also what we do with the remaining 90% is also important because that should also glorify the Lord, right? how we spend it, how we save it, how we don't spend it, how we invest it. And, and it, money is simply an avenue through which we can glorify God because uh, two different people can give and one could glorify God and one could not, right? Do you remember that story in the, in, in the, in the Gospels about Jesus and he's watching the people giving? Do you remember this story? There's a bunch of really rich, wealthy people. And you know when they gave, they didn't write a check. 
They didn't have checks back then. You know what? You would give coins. And so the more money that you gave, the bigger the bag that you gave. And so people would know, wow, look at these people. They're giving so much. And they were the ones that got the glory. And there's this widow woman who had two little coins, and she gave that to the Lord. And God was very pleased with that. It wasn't about the amount that they gave. It was about honoring and glorifying the Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse number 16 says, And he spake unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my goods. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all uh, my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The point of this passage is not that building, accumulating, having wealth is bad. Abraham was godly and was wealthy. Job was godly and was wealthy. And that wealth glorified the Lord but what God is saying is, what's the point of wealth if it doesn't bring glory to the Lord? So when we handle our money, we ought to approach it in a way that glorifies God. When we receive money, we ought to receive it thankfully. When we give money, we ought to give it thankfully. When we spend our money, we ought to spend it thankfully. We have to say, God, I'm so thankful that I'm able to purchase these things. God, I'm so glad that you've blessed me in a way that allows for me to invest in this area. God, I'm so glad that you've allowed for me to save a little bit so that I could, you know, purchase this or use this or give it in this area. And so God is the owner of our money, and therefore we find the objective of money. The objective of money is to glorify the Lord. Thirdly, then, what I see is the obedience in money. Right? If we understand who is the owner of money, and then we begin to understand what is the objective of money, then we begin to understand, all right, what am I supposed to do with my money? How am I supposed to handle it? How am I supposed to view it? You know, uh, sometimes uh, uh, people may ask this question, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Right? If you had a million dollars, think about it. If you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? And you think oh man, if I had a million dollars, this is what I would do, and this is where I would go, and this is how I would live, and all of these different kinds of things. Here's the thing. Let's say you make, I don't know how much money you make, but let's say you make $25,000 a year. You make twelve fifty dollars an hour, you work 50 weeks out of the year, you work 40 hours a week, you make about $25,000 a year, right? The normal working span of life is roughly, and I'm just generalizing, 25 to 65, right? Let's say you work 40 years and you never get a raise. It's a terrible job, okay? <laughs> but let's say you never get a raise. You make $25,000 every year for 40 years. You're, at some point, you gotta say, come on, you gotta give me something over here. But, you know, let's say you only made $25,000 $25, every year for 40 years in a row. You know how much money you would make? A million dollars. So the question is not, what would you do if you had a million dollars? The question is, what are you doing with the million dollars that you have? What are you doing with the money that you have? And what you are doing with your money indicates what is important to you, what you care about, and all of these things. Over the next several weeks, 
We'll go into maybe some details. We'll cover some big ideas and little ideas. But I just want to uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. If this money is God's and the objective is to glorify God, then I need to be a good steward of that money, right? I need to handle it in a way that fulfills the purpose that God, the owner, intends for it to have. In Matthew chapter number 6, Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to just take a look at how money reveals some things in our hearts And I just ask you to think about some of these things. Number one, I see that money reveals our cares. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where you spend your money shows what you care about. Uh, when I was in the youth group, sometimes we would have activities and we would go to different places. You know, sometimes we would go out to a baseball game and uh, we, would, we would be there. Sometimes we would go out to just all different areas and uh, we would have different activities. Sometimes we would have an activity uh, at the mall. We had uh, an activity uh, that, uh, that we had and basically the idea was this. Um, there were certain members of our church that would dress up, they would disguise themselves in the mall, and it was our job to go through the mall and find them. And so we had to find them and take a picture with them or something like that and send it. And uh, so we would go to the mall. But you know what teenagers do when they're at the mall? They go shopping, right? You know, so they go around. And it's interesting because, you know, our youth group director would tell us, you know, we're going to be at the mall, so bring some money if you want to buy some things. And so most of us, we had, uh, we had a, a little bit of money, so we would go shopping. And it's interesting how different people would buy different things, right? Some people would go and just buy, like, tons and tons of junk food. They would buy ice cream and snacks. And as they're walking through the mall, they're just eating their ice cream and they're drinking their drinks and they're eating their snacks, you know. And, and some other people, you know, they would go through and they would see some clothes that they really wanted and they forget all about the objective of finding people and they just go and shop and they just start buying some things. And, and uh, it's interesting. You would see all of the teenagers, they would all come back and then you would see that some had the objective You know, they found a certain number of people. And then you would also see the bags that they were holding or the trash that they were holding left over from the food. And you would see what they really cared about. You know, we as a people can see what we care about based on what we spend our money on. Do you care about a nice car or not? Do you care about nice clothes? Do you want to eat like the latest, you know, whatever the fancy food trend is? Do you want, you know, a certain type of clothes? Do you want a vacation? Do you want to be able to travel? You can see a lot about yourself based on what you spend your money on, you know, because there's a lot of people who could buy very nice cars, but they choose not to. Why? Because they care about something else. And so we see that money reveals our cares. We also see that money reveals our commander. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Money is a great way for us to determine who's in control. Who's in control? You know, if God said to any one of us, I want you to put that $10 in the offering plate when it comes by, that's a real test of, Who's in control? 
Is God in control or am I in control? Is that desire of mine in control, the pleasure that I want in control, or is God in control? Also, I see that money reveals our confidence. Verse 25 says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, whether there or what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your life what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not ye much better than they? Which of you, taking thought, can add one cubit into his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Here is, here is uh, Jesus, he's preaching, and he says, hey, why are you concerned with all of these things about, you know, the, the clothes that you're going to have and the food that you're going to eat? Doesn't God take care of just the natural world? And aren't you so much more important? And he says in, in, in verse number 30, Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall, ye not there, uh, shall he not much more clothe you, o ye, little, o ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? You know, the way that we handle our finances shows whether we trust God. Whether we will give to God in this area. You know, just to be honest, you, you might look at the spreadsheet that's sitting in front of you that deals with your finances, and, you know, you do all the calculations, and at the very end, you end up with a negative number, right? The negative number is a bad number. So what you do is you go back through, and you say, all right, got to cut somewhere. i got to cut here. i got to cut my food. i got to cut, you know, maybe some entertainment. i got to cut, we got to stop buying, you know, certain things. And there's a temptation to say, you know what, I could just cut out a little bit of the tithe. That would balance the number out. You know, if I gave 9% instead of 10%, you know, hey, I, I, I'd come out even a little bit ahead. Hey, I'd be okay. There's a temptation there. And what God says is the money will show what we trust in. It's interesting because our money says, in God we trust. It says it, but do we believe it? Sometimes we say, in God we trust, but really I'm trusting in the coin. I'm trusting in you, George Washington. I'm trusting in you, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. I'm really trusting in you. <laughs> you really got to come through for me. And money reveals our confidence. Really, lastly, money reveals our Christianity. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth ye have need of these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Our money is a great way for us to see, do we really seek the kingdom of God first or not? So really this morning, I know we didn't cover any details, but I really wanted to just lay some basic groundwork for our basic principle when we look at our finances, which is really this. You know, I, we have some great and generous givers here at our church. We really do. Uh, we have a wonderful property because uh, God uh, has worked in the hearts of believers and, and people are faithful in their tithes and in their offerings and they give to missions and they give over and above and, and uh, they're very generous. And, uh, you know, many people here in our congregation, we tithe. You know, we give the 10%. I give my 10% and many of you give your 10%. But just remember that while the 10% is God's, the other 90% is also God's. And if all of it is the Lord's, then it has an objective to glorify God. And let me encourage you this week, maybe there's no decisions on how you would change the way that you spend your money. But take a look at your checkbook, okay? Those of you that are younger and you don't 
have checkbooks, you just use Venmo to give money back and forth. You know, go online and check your bank account and see where do you spend your money. All right, I don't usually give very specific tips, but here's what I do, okay? What I do is I use a website, it's called Mint, M-I-N-T. It's the same company that is TurboTax, all right? Now use it at your own discretion, but I aggregate all of my things, my bank account, my credit cards, it connects them all together, and it shows me what I've been spending my money on. You know, I can look on my phone and see, you know, hey, there's a charge here, and sometimes I don't recognize it, and I'll text my wife, hey, did you buy something today? And she'll say, oh yeah, I bought something online today. And it shows up right away, the day of, sometimes. And so it's a great tool. Let me encourage you to, if you have a ledger, or you have a program, maybe you wanna uh, download this program, and, and it takes a little bit of time to set up, but it'll be well worth your while to find out where do you spend your money? What are you spending your money on? You know, me and my wife, uh, we are uh, well-known coffee lovers, okay? If you're, if you're not familiar with that, you need to know that, all right? We love coffee. This afternoon, I know I'm going to start craving coffee. And uh, so we would go, and, uh, you know, we'll, a lot of times we just, uh, I'll make it at home. You know, after lunch, I'll, you know, grind up some coffee and I'll make some coffee and it's great. Sometimes when we're on the run or we're not able to be home, then I'll, I'll, I'll go to like a Starbucks or something and I'll buy coffee. You know, and you go, to, you go to Starbucks and, you know, it's like three, four dollars and you're like, wow, that's expensive for a coffee, but it's only three, four dollars, right? It's only three, four dollars. It's okay. I could buy coffee this time. And then the next day, oh man, I had a long day. Man, I need some help. And you go spend another three, four dollars. And then you go and you go. And uh, sometimes I look at, at that, at that uh, app and I look at it and I look at our restaurant. I group coffee and restaurants, everything all together. And I look at it. And the bar, if it's green, it's good. I can still spend money. If it's yellow, it means no more. If it's red, what are you doing? You spend too much money. And sometimes we've like maybe ate out once or twice in a month and I'll look at it, you know, at a restaurant, like a proper sit down restaurant, I'll look at it and I'll, it'll be red. I'm like, how is it possibly red? And I, I click on the thing, and I open it up, and it says, you went to eat at that restaurant? Okay, I remember this, I remember that. Okay, coffee, coffee, coffee. My wife had coffee. You know, we took somebody out and we had coffee, and it just adds up. You know, sometimes we're not even aware. Let me encourage you just this week to do this one thing. Take some time, sit down at your computer, your checkbook, or whatever, where, however you do it. Maybe you want to use the website that I use. You don't have to, but find out where do I spend all of my money, right? You ever been at the end of the month and you're like, I don't have any money left, where did it go? It went somewhere, you spent it somehow. There's not a robber, you know, slowly pulling out dollars out of your bank account, right? It's somewhere. Let me encourage you just this week It'll be a big help to you. This will be a lot better for you if we, over the next four weeks as we take a look at the Bible, if you have some numbers in front of you, not here in the church, of course, but when you go home, be able to take a look at some of the numbers and say, you know what? Every month I spend about $200 on this. Maybe, I, maybe that doesn't need to be there. 
Maybe it should be a little bit less. Maybe it needs to be a little bit different. You know, sometimes, you know, before we go out to eat, I'll, I'll, I'll click on the app and I'll, I'll go down to restaurants and I'll say, oh man, it, it's yellow. We're at the budget. We can't go out to eat tonight. So I got, we got to go home. We got to figure out something. And so let me encourage you this week to find all of that information and get as good of a, of a situation where you know where you stand. That'll be a great help to you over the next four weeks as we take a look at our finances. There's one other thing that I want to mention, which is this. Uh, we have a bookstore here in our church. You may not know that we have a bookstore. It's, it's right over there, and it's right through the glass doors right on the left. There's a number of books there on different topics. So we have books there on parenting. We have books there on marriage. We have books there on uh uh, being a godly woman, on being a godly man. We have all sorts of different books. We have Bibles, so if you need a Bible, you can purchase a Bible there. Devotional books, all sorts of different things. One of the books that I added very recently is a book on finance. It's called The Total Money Makeover. And uh, so there's a lot of ideas in there. It's from a man who uh, uses a lot of Bible verses and uh, uh, tries to follow God's word uh, with respect to handling finances. Um, I know everybody in here is at different levels of your financial knowledge, of your, you know, kind of where you stand with your finance. Some of you have finance majors. Some of you are accountants, okay? You accountants, I'm sure you know down to the penny exactly, you know, where you are and things like that. But some are not. You know, some people know a lot about investing. Some people don't know anything about investing. And uh, so this is a great book for those of you who would say, you know what, I want to be better at handling my finances, but I just don't know where to start. Somebody in here might say, you know what, I want to be good. I want to be better. I know that it's important. I want to be able to save more money and be able to put money in different places and be able to save towards my future or invest or all sorts of different things. You might say, I really want to. I just don't know where to start. Um, you know, we could spend some time going through all of that information, but what would really be a help to you is to get that book. Now, there are some things in there that I don't do. I'll just admit, I don't do it, all right? Uh, but if you do end up following all of the steps in that book, it'll be a help to you, and you'll be in a great position in the future. And so let me encourage you, uh, for those of you that are interested, come and find me. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be there for a little bit, and uh, you can purchase the book. That'll be a help to you. The other thing is go home this week and uh, you know, download your bank statement, download your credit card statement, or uh, download a program and put all of that information in and figure it out so that you know where you stand. And, uh, <clears throat> and it'll be a help to you over the next four weeks as we take a look at our finances. Let's pray.